Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. The Michael Reed Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at LMFM.ie Tuesday morning, the 9th of July. Good morning with much debate and discussion from now till 11am. This is Michael Reed on LMFM. As uh, the clock ticks down to Brexit on uh, the 31st of October, government today will consider three memos on the dire consequences for Northern Ireland and the All-Ireland economy if the UK crashes out of Europe at Halloween. Politicians in Northern Ireland are in no position to influence Brexit. The elephant in the room is how MLAs are not in the Assembly and Northern Ireland is without an executive. Northern Ireland holds the world record for the longest period without a sitting government. That's 659 days since the collapse in January 2017. Two and a half years on, there is a legal obligation to hold elections by the end of August. The British government wants to extend the deadline and MPs began debating the Northern Ireland Executive Formation Bill in the House of Commons last night, which, if passed, delays elections up to the 21st of October. But it's a series of unexpected amendments to this bill, which may have given MLAs some pause for thought. Amendments on the laws relating to abortion and same-sex marriage, amendments which would restrict the future prosecution of British soldiers, or an amendment which would block uh, no-deal Brexit altogether. Jim Wells, DUP MLA in uh, South Down, joins us now. And a very good morning to you, Jim Wells, and thanks uh, for joining us here on the programme this morning. I suppose if you're not going to do your job, the message from Westminster there is somebody will. First of all, Mike, that is the most loaded introduction I've ever heard. The dire consequences for Northern Ireland uh, with Brexit. Uh, you know, frankly, we just don't see it that way. Okay, well, that's what uh, the memos, that's the language that's being used in the memos going to the Irish cabinet today. Oh, no doubt going to the cabinet of the Irish Republic. Yes, granted. But, I mean, we many people in Northern Ireland see Brexit as being a wonderful opportunity to get out there and trade with the real world. 
uh, and ho- holds boundless opportunities for new economic uh, growth. So mm. you know, not everyone holds the same view as, as the Irish Republic. Well, there's many people in the Irish Republic who think uh, Brexit is a, a wonderful opportunity uh, for uh, reunited Ireland uh, based on the comments uh, made by Simon Hoare, who's a, a Tory MP and uh, the chair of uh, the Westminster Committee on uh, Northern Ireland. Yes, and time and time again we're told about this great conversation that's going on about United Ireland. Can I make it absolutely clear, Mike, that mm. the, uh, the unions having that conversation, they're not remotely interested. And whilst others, the great and the good and the intelligentsia may talk about mm. the new landscape, uh, there's still not an iota of indication that the unionist community are already closer to considering United Ireland than they were uh, three years ago. Well, but, I don't know. I mean, Mr. Hoare said we will play with fire if a policy is pursued which adds an accelerant to a demand for a border poll because I have to say, and it saddens me to say, I'm not convinced that we as unionists would win that poll. He said it might lead to a poll in Scotland as well and that he didn't want to wake up and find himself a subject of the United Kingdom of England and Wales which is obviously uh, United Kingdom without Scotland and Northern Ireland. Yes, but I mean for that to happen the people of Northern Ireland would have to vote to leave the United Kingdom and I'm absolutely convinced that 99% of what you would define as a unionist population Mm will vote to remain, and a significant number of what they call the Catholic Nationalist uh, 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 part of the, the uh, community. So therefore, I mean, it, it, it requires a seismic shift in attitudes in Northern Ireland for that to happen. So uh, that, that, that's the least of my concerns. I'm Maybe so, it. but I mean, if you're wrong, uh, or whether you're wrong or, or not, let's go back uh, to the original question about not being uh, in your seat in Stormont. Uh, And uh, if the Assembly uh, is not restored, if an executive uh, is not in place in the somewhat near future by the end of October, let's say, uh, does that mean that abortion will be legalised, same-sex marriage will be legalised by Westminster or will they be legalised by Dublin? Well, first of all, I can't understand why Dublin would have any involvement in those issues. Well, going back to what Mr. Hoare said about a united Ireland. Well, yeah, yes, yes. Well, Mr. Hoare clearly is not really in touch with reality. But to make it clear, yes, I do share the concern about a bill which is going before the Commons today, which is designed simply to delay an Assembly election, being used from a salary of range of issues to try and, for instance, change the law on the killing of the unborn child, to change the law on, on who can marry whom, and change the law on a no-deal Brexit. I mean, this is a technical bill with one aim and one aim only is to change the date of an election. And I'm hoping the Speaker will realise that none of these have any relevance whatsoever to the main purpose and intent of the bill. And I hope that if the Speaker decided mm. to include any of these amendments, that the, the Secretary of State would simply pull the bill so it couldn't be used uh, as a, a vehicle for for, for issues which the, a large proportion of Northern Ireland people feel totally unacceptable, that there should be any change in the status of marriage in Northern Ireland and that there should be any attempt to kill unborn child children in mass numbers like happens in 
GB and unfortunately has happened over this last year in the Irish Republic. We just don't want that. There's 3,000 human beings have had their lives terminated in the Irish Republic since your uh, referendum. We don't want to go down that road. Sorry, it's just not, we're not interested. And certainly we don't want it to be slipped through as an amendment to mm. something that has nothing to do with that subject whatsoever. Well, I don't know. The Secretary of State for Defence, Penny Mordaunt, was suggesting that there will be a court ruling which says that the British government is in breach of international human rights because of how the law restricts abortion in Northern Ireland. Now, she said it's a devolved decision, but there is not a devolved government. So, if the MPs vote to extend the situation where there is no government in Northern Ireland and is in breach of human rights, well, then it has to act. It has a responsibility to act. That's her argument. Michael, no one thought of the human rights of the 3,000 human beings that have had their lives ended in the Irish Republic since 1918. That's a view that you hold. Michael, those are human beings. That's a view that you hold which is at odds with the Minister's view and the Minister feels will be at odds with the Court's view which will say that the international human rights law on this is that Northern Ireland is in breach. And that puts a responsibility on the British government to act because you're not in work. Well, first of all, Michael, can I say that the reason I have no responsibility for not being in work whatsoever. I asked the question, if Fianna Foyle walked out of the Doyle, would the Doyle close? No, it wouldn't. But we have a system in Northern Ireland where Sinn Féin walk out, the whole thing collapses. I would be back in tomorrow morning and it's given me the opportunity. Sinn Féin took the ball off the field, as it were, in January 2017. And because of the system we have, we can't get back. But the, you know, there's no responsibility at, at our door for the mm. fact that they've walked out. Uh, you know, I'm sorry to say that. Uh, secondly, I understand the talks are going reasonably well behind the scenes. And we're hoping that we will be able to get the evolution back up and running you know, within a foreseeable future. Well, not by August, which is why this bill has been put in place to allow additional time. Uh, and I'm not making the argument uh, for introducing laws uh, on abortion to Northern Ireland. I'm outlining the logic for doing it by those who propose doing it. And if that argument wins over, well, then you're going to be in a position where you're going to be governed in a way that you object to by outsiders. Yes, but the difficulty is, yes, I object to that, but the problem is our system that we have means that if Sinn Féin walk out, there is no government of Northern Ireland. If Sinn Féin walk back in, then there is a government up uh, and running instantly. And that's the difficulty we face, that, that, that Sinn Féin at the moment cannot be persuaded to go back into government. Now, uh, the, the, on the issue of abortion and on gay marriage, the Assembly has taken very recent decisions on these. So therefore, I mean, within this last three years, which has been mm. the normal parliamentary protocol, yeah. so it's not as if we've, we've sat on our hands and done nothing well, on this. I don't, know, I don't know if that argument holds up, because we heard that argument on the programme yesterday, and exactly the same argument could be made about the Irish politicians, because they voted against legislating for abortion a couple of years ago, and more recently voted in favour of it. Yes, but what, what, what I can say, say to you is that the February 2016 debate was a very long, protracted free vote. And as, as a result of that, we decided by very, very substantial mm. majorities 
not to change the law on abortion in Northern Ireland. And what I can't understand, Mike, is why is this mad rush to kill the unborn child? Why are the people who get up every morning and decide, today's the day I push for the killing of the innocent unborn child? I just don't get that. Mm. And I know that there's a large proportion of Northern Ireland do not want the law changed in this part of the United Kingdom. And therefore, I don't see why such a sensitive issue should be dealt with at midnight at the, in the House of Commons as a, as a clandestine amendment to a piece of legislation that has nothing to do with the killing of the unborn child. It's about the setting of a date for an election. And I'm hoping, I hope that either A, the, sec, the Speaker, John Burgos, decides that none of these uh, amendments are relevant, or B, if mm. he does intend to let them through, that the Secretary of State will okay. pull the legislation. Well, there was a very long and heated and protracted and uh, lengthy debate uh, on abortion in 2015 in this country. The legislation that was proposed by Claire Daly at the time was defeated. Subsequent to that, the TDs changed their mind and allowed for a referendum and the people voted in favour of it. So you're talking about in and around the same time scale. A lot has happened in the last three or four years. Well, certainly as far as those who want to protect the life of the unborn child, our view hasn't changed one iota. It's wrong morally, it's wrong medically, and it's a national disgrace that the Irish Republic has decided to go down the route of abortion on demand. I'm very very sad about that, and as I say, 3,000 innocent babies have had their lives terminated as a result of it. I don't see how the Irish Republic could be proud of that situation having arisen. Mm. It's it's nothing to do with the Irish Republic. Uh, I mean, it's a responsibility on the British government. If you're in Portsmouth, you can uh, uh, terminate a a pregnancy legally, uh, a medical uh, termination. You can kill a a baby legally in Portsmouth. In Portsmouth, where Penny Mordaunt is from. Uh, And uh, the minister uh, is from a part of England where abortion is legal. Now she's being told by the courts that... No, she's not. Like this, court, no court this is the argument she's making, that the, a court ruling is about to be made which will say that Northern Ireland is in breach of human rights uh, and she feels it's her responsibility because if you can do it in her constituency, why can you not do it in another constituency that she is now responsible for because the politicians in Northern Ireland are not at work? Hang on, uh, Mike, there was a similar court ruling four years ago in which it decided that uh, Northern Ireland was not out of line with human rights, that Northern Ireland could continue its present legislation. So there's absolutely no guarantee that this court decision will go any differently. Secondly, Pennymore... Well, the minister seems to think it will. She can't preempt the decision of the courts. It's not up to her to, 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 to look over the shoulder of judges and decide what they're going to decide. Well, she was making her arguments on the premise that the court was going to make such a ruling and if that was the ruling, then a vote should be held in the House of Commons. Yes, but the, the, assuming that does happen and that's not by any means guaranteed, then the second point is, should the decision be taken at Westminster or should it be left to Northern Ireland Assembly? Well, there is no Northern uh, Ireland Assembly. Yes, Northern I, Northern I mean, Assembly. I mean how, how will you feel if it happens that Westminster decides to introduce abortion to Northern Ireland when you're on your holidays? I'm on my holidays? Well, you know what I mean. Well, well, you're on leave of absence or whatever way you describe it after 659 days. 
If I had a video phone, I'd love to show you the pile of casework. <laughs> oh, I'm sure. Lying I know. I know. But, but, but this is the perception that people have. People are saying, do, where, where, where is the leadership in Northern Ireland? People feel abandoned. People are, are, are saying, why or how can we be expected to work together as two separate communities when our leaders can't do it? Hang on, Mike. Uh, don't let your personal prejudice leak out during an interview. The point is that it's one party in Northern Ireland has abdicated responsibility and has decided to walk out of the Assembly. Every other MLA would be in in the morning. So you can't say that the leadership of the DUP, the UUP, the SDLP, etc. are abdicating any responsibility. They want back in, they want back in immediately. I believe, I believe that ordinary people from both communities are saying that the leaders of all parties, uh, particularly Sinn Féin and the DUP, are abdicating their responsibilities because you're not working together. No, no. The the nationalist media and the Irish Republic and Sinn Féin are saying that, and unfortunately so are you. But the fact is that I do expect a wee bit more neutrality from a very highly paid presenter (laughs) in the Irish Republic. Well, (laughs) The the reality is reality is that if Fine Gael walked out, or Fine Fáil walked out of the Doyle in the morning, the Doyle would continue. The problem is that Sinn Féin walked out of the Assembly in January 2017 and our rules means that these institutions ca- cannot be revived until they decide otherwise. And that's the problem. Arlene Foster or uh, Robin Swan, etc., are not abdicating responsibility mm. because they've made it clear they want back immediately. We're not, we have no preconditions. We just want back into government. And Did, there are but, important issues that have to be debated. But okay, those debated in the okay let's, let's go back to how highly paid I am because I'm very highly paid. Okay, well, fair enough. I mean, that's uh, obviously uh, something for people to decide themselves. Uh, and uh, I have my own feeling on it, which uh, I'm very well paid. But I'm nowhere near as well paid as you, but I have to come to work. I'm like, I'm, like, I'm paid 35000 <laughs> sterling a year. Yeah. I would be surprised if you were to treble that. Well, I know I'm worth an awful lot more, but there you go. Yes, you know, like, so therefore, mm. and the fact is, I want to be back into the Assembly. I, I, I have sat rather frustrated now for two and a half years. But at the end of the day, we can't, unionism, alliance, SDLP, we can't go back in because the law doesn't allow us to. And this is the ridiculous situation we have, is that one party can bring everything crashing down. And the Doyle doesn't have that rule. The Doyle says, as Fianna Fáil go, thank you very much. And they continue without them. Well, let's conclude on the assumption, or by accepting what you're saying, that this is all the fault of Sinn Féin. But regardless of... uh, uh, okay, but regardless of that, uh, if same-sex marriage or abortion legislation is introduced, how will you respond? It'll be one of the saddest and most depressing days, uh, particularly on the abortion issue, Mike, because it means that we've saved the lives of 102,000 people in Northern Ireland because we don't have abortion legislation. 102,000 people making very valid and important contributions to our life, their farmers, their chief executives, their solicitors. Those people are alive today because we didn't have abortion and demand. What we're now saying is that the, the life of an unborn child is of no consequences and can be ended at a whim. I think that will be a dreadful day for Northern Ireland, a dreadful day for the sanctity of life, and a very sad day for me and a very sad day for so many people from both persuasions who value human life. Uh, now, I believe what could happen tonight is that that is realistically going to happen. The Secretary of State will simply pull the legislation to prevent it being used as a vehicle for that. Okay. Uh, and I hope she'll do that. And the government have the wherewithal to stop all of this happening. 
And that would mean we would proceed directly to an election to the Assembly sometime in September, and so be it. I'd rather fight an election than to see the mass killing of innocent human beings through an abortion act. Okay. I mean, that's as simple as that. All right, we'll leave it there for the moment. Thank you very much indeed, as always, for joining us here on the programme today. Jim Wells, DUP, MLA for South Down. Michael, Michael Reed, Reed on, on LMFM. Now, as you know, Irene White uh, was murdered at Ice House Hill in Dundalk in 2005. Yesterday, another man uh, was convicted of her murder and sentenced to life in prison, in prison Isle Power of Giles Key, a 47-year-old man who is said to have been a long-time friend of uh, the family. Another man, Anthony Lamb of Castle Blaney, was sentenced to life last January. And it's uh, since uh, transcribed, I beg your pardon, it's it's, uh, become known now that uh, there's a third man involved who paid Niall Power 25,000, but he paid 2,002 lamb to carry out uh, the murder. Uh, Who this mystery man is, is uh, the subject of much speculation. Gardaí say uh, they're expecting to arrest. Uh, The family are hoping that there'll be a conviction. It seems odd today that we're not speaking to Andel Cassian Irene White's sister uh, and the reason for that is uh, that Andel Cassian has weeks to live uh, she said in a victim impact statement yesterday when she welcomed the conviction and indeed the life term in prison that she's currently diagnosed with terminal cancer uh, as I say, it seems wrong uh, that we're not hearing from Anne Del Cassian today because she's campaigned tirelessly since 2005 uh, for justice for her sister Irene. And we'll hear just a little bit of what she said to me about the killing and the investigation into Irene White's murder some 12 years ago. Well, there is absolutely support. I mean, I am in regular contact with the Guardian. I ring them regularly. They contact me if there's any new moves. But there, there always are some, some new situations. I mean, I went to Cove now in Cork to support Peter Keeney there. I also met um, Grania Dill- Dillon, um, whose daughter was also murdered in Cork. And we comforted each other to see Peter Keeney, a grown man, cry for that beautiful girl whom he reared as a single parent. It's just absolutely devastating. The whole family are in pieces, like my own family. I mean, there's only myself left now. My mother and Irene are taken from me. And it's such an injustice, so it is. And I know in my heart and soul, I know who these people are. I know why they murdered Irene. I know who they are. And I'm telling you now that there are people out there within that family group who murdered Irene that know exactly what happened. And I urge them once again to come forward, to put aside whatever bullying tactics are being held on them to put that aside and to come forward to the Garda and just say look I am going for justice this woman is crying out for justice and she wants her sister literally laid to rest and the justice that my mother cried for before she died I'd like that to take place in Dundalk You seem very certain of this and why do you think they're not coming forward is it to protect somebody or is it through fear? I would say it's a combination of both, actually, Mike, because um, there are people out there in this world, I'm sure you're aware of the crime situation in Ireland at the moment, people are afraid to come forward. You know, they they do definitely know something. We just need that little piece of a jigsaw uh, to break these people because it's just not, it's not going to happen with Irene, I can assure you. I'm not going to let this case go on as long as Sophie DePlant here. I'm a different person. It's not going to take that long for Irene's uh, people to be brought to justice. Some people have come forward, have they not? 
there has been a number of statements uh, into the thousands actually relating to Irene. Um, people were well aware that Irene's life was threatened. As I, t- I discussed this before with you, Mike, um, last year, she, she was in fear of her life and it is well known among the Guardian that she was in fear of her life. The unfortunate thing is that, you know, it couldn't be, Irene couldn't be um, saved as a lot of other women couldn't because they only start plucking up the courage to come forward and say to, to the people, to the Guardian, uh, you know, we, our lives are threatened. Is there anything you can do for us? And unfortunately, these women are um, these women are murdered. If you're hiding something from um, you know the Garda, and you know for a fact that this would help bring Irene's uh, killers to justice, I think you should really, really come forward because. For me, um, look at the pain that all of the families have gone through. Look at that photograph of us outside the ice house on the 6th of April 2007, Irene's second anniversary. All the families that came there to support me, the grief of each of us, you know, it will never go. Yes, we may get somebody into prison, but we are left with a void in our lives forever. That's Anne Delcassian, the sister of Irene White, uh, speaking to me 12 years ago. And uh, like you, I suppose we've got to know Anne over the course of uh, the last 15 years or so as uh, she's been appealing for information for people to come forward to, to help the Gardaí with their investigations into the brutal murder of her sister, Irene White, in Dundalk. Now... Uh, like you, I learned yesterday uh, that she's weeks to live. As she said, she's currently diagnosed with terminal cancer. And she said in her statement yesterday, it's my dying wish uh, that you and all responsible are brought to justice. In order for justice to be done, it would mean uh, that the so-called middleman who paid Niall Power, who paid Anthony Lamb to kill Irene White, is also brought before the courts and brought to justice. Well, if there is a conviction, that will be absolutely fantastic because I do know that there are people uh, on the periphery of this murder that do know what has happened. If they put themselves in my position, for example, let's say it's their brother, it's their sister, it's their father or their mother, I would like to think that had they have seen that person on that kitchen floor in the state that my beautiful sister was left on, with the blood literally draining out of her body, I would like to think that they have the conscience now to come forward. You know, see, in life, Mike, certain things change certain people. For example, new life coming into the world may make somebody actually aware that, yes, I will have a family at some time in my own life, and at this stage, I should have the decency to show respect for life and to show to my own sibling that I am going to make moral obligations in life for that particular individual when they come into society. At stake for that particular individual or individuals is their liberty. And I am going to tell you, quite frankly, I believe that their liberty should not exist at this moment in time. They should be taken from society and made realise that you cannot take life. Whatever way you look at it in the world, you cannot do it. It's wrong. And Al Cassian speaking to me in 2008 in that particular clip and Anne was always uh, very saddened by how her mother who found her dead sister Irene uh, when she was brutally murdered uh, hadn't been alive that she had died uh, before there was any convictions uh, two men have been convicted of the murder of Irene White and uh, Anne says she's weeks to live and is hoping that justice will have uh, been done uh, before she passes away and that means uh, that a third man will be arrested and brought before the courts the so-called middleman uh, who ordered or 
paid for the killing of Irene White. Uh, and uh, very sad, as I say, to hear the news of Anne Del Cassian. And uh, I'm sure that uh, the family, if uh, they're listening, will pass on our best wishes to Anne. Michael Reed on LMFM. The Courts Service annual report shows a drop in the amount paid out in personal injury awards in uh, the course of uh, the last year. Some €29 million less or a drop of 14%, which oddly enough comes at a time when premiums are increasing. Insurance companies say that fraudulent costs add €50 on to the cost of motor insurance policies and uh, that fraud feeds into why insurance premiums are in general as expensive as they are. These payouts could be reduced under new guidelines which will be put together by a new Judicial Council under a bill which was passed in the Dáil in the last couple of weeks. Let's talk about this with Linda Murray who's uh, on the board of the Alliance for Insurance Reform and uh, the owner of Huckleberry's Play Centre in Navan and a very good morning to you once again Linda and uh, thanks uh, for joining us here on the programme this morning. The idea of us having to pay €50 or or however much more it is for fraudulent claims is one. I suppose that, that doesn't sit well with most of us. Uh, there's uh, been this ongoing issue of uh, Maria Bailey's claim, which she dropped and reports over the weekend uh, that she had overstated her claim, according uh, to the Fine Gael internal review of uh, the case. Uh, that's to be uh, discussed and debated undoubtedly by members of uh, the Fine Gael party at their parliamentary party meeting tonight. Uh, and undoubtedly we'll be getting more detail on it in the next couple of days. But is it a report that you'd like to see published? Um, I think that's, I suppose that's up for a again to decide what they're going to do. What I did highlight, Michael, is that um, uh, there's lots of different aspects to these personal injury claims where people feel that they're entitled to claim when they've been injured somewhere. And that kind of is what really came across to me when I heard that interview is that um, Maria Bailey, like many other people, felt that they were entitled to claim. Um, and it, this is where duty of care or negligence really comes into play, where a business hasn't been negligent and the duty of care isn't on the business and is on the person entering the premises, then they shouldn't be putting in a claim. And whatever the report may show, um, Maria Bailey withdrew her claim. So it probably says everything, you know, the way as it is. So um, I think the public already have their answers. So whatever the Fianna Gael decides themselves, it's, it's up to them. Okay, uh, but uh, it uh, is something that exercised a, a lot of people and undoubtedly will exercise uh, the politicians and uh, will bring further focus on to uh, the problem uh, and indeed uh, the amounts that are awarded under personal injuries claims. Are, are you optimistic that uh, there'll be any change in that quickly? Um I am. Look, um, the Judicial Council Bill was a major stepping stone in insurance reform um, that uh, went through the door last week. It has to go to the last stage now in the Senate um, this week and then it will be signed by the President next week. And the Judicial Council Bill means that there will be a Judicial Council set up whereby about seven judges will sit down together and actually come up with the amount of awards that should be given out for various personal injury claims. We've been hearing over and over again for the last couple of years that we're four and a half times, probably even more, greater than the UK. Um, And it's minor injury claims and soft tissue injuries that are really affecting um, premiums and businesses like ourselves, where kids and people come into leisure industry or into any type of business and have some sort of accident. Um, That's just a small accident where it hasn't been um, 
on the negligence on the business side and they can claim and get something like up to 20,000. That really needs to be sorted. Um, I mean, we saw as well there over the uh, weekend the debate that Pierre Doherty had in the in the Oireachtas with um, three of the major uh, insurance companies as well. And what this also showed is that there needs to be serious transparency in how our premiums are actually, um, how they're allocated and how, they're, how they come up with the sum that they do. Um, we hear as well from government uh, officials that uh, motor insurances are down by 20%. Anyone that I talk to seems to be that their motor insurances are climbing. So we just need... To uh, uh, and the issue there was, are, are they exaggerating uh, the amount of fraudulent claims? Uh, exactly. Um, I mean, um, look, this whole, where we are at the moment, this crisis, and it definitely is a crisis. I mean, at the moment, Michael, my business is closed for the last two weeks, mm. um, and I'm reopening tomorrow. I mean, this is a major crisis. Um, there's been 14 centres in our category closed in the last six months, and it's affecting more and more businesses. And you, and you know, you've had them on your show as well. It's affecting more and more businesses mm. every week. Um, so it, this is a crisis, but there's a lot of different steps in that crisis. There's a lot of things contributing to that. One is the transparency, how to calculate the premiums. One is the overpayment of awards. Um, a huge part is only 5% of all personal injury claims make it to court, Michael. I mean, if more of them were to make it, so maybe more of them would mm. be fought. Exactly. Mm. Yeah, make it to court and get settled. Um, the rest have been paid off by insurance companies. Yeah. Um, a few have been paid off by PIAB. So th- because it's cheaper. No doubt it's, it's because it's cheaper to pay. Exactly, exactly. And we can't let... We can't let um, you know, we do ha- definitely. There's some um, illegal people out there mm. who are bringing some of the cases forward that are questionable. So, I mean, there's mm. lots of different ways in this. But the only thing that I can tell you for sure is that the people who are suffering are the people who are paying the policies. The policyholders mm. are the people who are suffering. But uh, so h- how do you solve that? Uh, I mean, if it's more expensive to fight a case and win a case and t- to prove that the claim is inflated or not warranted, uh, if it's more expensive to go to court and prove that than to pay somebody a lesser amount, how do you win that situation? There'll be less of an appetite to bring cases to court when the awards are less. Um, now, I'm not talking about bringing them down by 10 or 15%. Mm. They, need to come down, they need to come way down um, for there to be less um, uh, appetite for it. Another major... Well, the claims need to be less than the legal fees, in other words. Yeah. But yes, but also there needs to be the guard of fraudulent unit set up. So in other words, if you thought, well, first of all, if I bring this claim, I'm going to get a lot less than I would have a year or two ago. Secondly, if it's proved to be fraudulent or exaggerated, I could be reported to a guard of fraud unit and I could be prosecuted for it. That's major. Um, and then third, if we can get the kind of duty of care established so that the, the onus is either on you or on the business, depends on where it's established. So there's, there's a few very important aspects which will help mm. things. I'm not, you asked me a question at the start, was it optimistic about it coming down? Mm. I am if all of these are in place. I am hopeful for the judiciary that we have trusted um, in the, with this judicial council bill that they will look at these awards and bring them down considerably. I'm hoping that the commissioner, um, the Garda commissioner, will look at a Garda fraud unit and set that up. Mm. I'm hoping that we can establish a duty of care. Look, I'm fighting for this for the last yeah. year. The judicial council bill has been amazing to get through. So it does work when you <laughs> it does work when you come out and you talk about what's wrong and things, mm. things can change. So hopefully the rest will. Yeah, well, I mean, there's certain things uh, that uh, run a, a certain amount of risk, uh, and uh, if you injure yourself, uh, you have to take some personal responsibility for it. Uh, and I don't know, but uh, if I was out in my back garden, my own back garden, on one of my swings with a, a bottle of beer, maybe a bottle of wine or something, and I, I fell, I'd 
feel that that was my responsibility. Exactly. If, it ha- if it happened somewhere else, it's somebody else's responsibility and they have to pay for your injuries uh, and indeed uh, the uh, inconvenience and whatever that goes with it. But, I mean... Only if they're negligent, Michael. What? Only if they're negligent. Yeah, only if, if, only if they're negligent. But are, are, are there some activities that uh, you should only be able to uh, do at your own risk? I mean, if you're to do a bungee jump, let's say, and uh, you end up with your back injured for life. Mm. Uh, I mean, is that somebody's fault or is it uh, just unfortunate? Provided that the rope, the platform, the area yeah. that you were jumping, that everything was within a standard that has been recognised by whoever is running that operation, mm. um, and something happens to you um, that wasn't the fault of the business, then you knew you were undertaking an activity mm. that was that was risky. I mean, I did all that white water rafting and bungee jumping. I did all that in my early 20s mm. in Australia. And I knew going into each one, my stomach, the adrenaline, the nerves, yeah. everything. Because in your head is going, what if something happens? But I signed all these things and I read all these signs that said you are undertaking this at your own risk. Yeah. I mean, if something went wrong, like as I said, the rope uh, burst or the rope burst or something that goes mm. down um, the river. You know, the, I mean, there are things that you're not responsible for mm. because you, you got into a boat thinking it was going to be fine. Mm. And that's where you need to be thinking, was this my fault or was it the business's fault? And, and does the same principle not uh, apply to your business when kids are, are playing in Huckleberry's Den? Does the same principle not uh, apply? And if it does, why are insurance claims so high and why are premiums so high? Actually, this is the problem, Michael. And the mm. gas thing is, is that, like, you know, we're fighting so much for um, trying to sort this out in Ireland and we can't even guess our insurance in Ireland. I mean, we're across in the UK. I, I was on your show saying that mm. uh, we now have 91 businesses in our group, Pally, which is Plague Activity in Leisure Ireland, and we've got insurance for 62 of them through the UK. We can't even get it in Ireland. Um, but yes, it does apply, um, and it is horrific to see that some people come in and a child bruises their head, um, like what has happened in our centres, um, where you have a bruised head, nothing wrong with the child, no bleeding, no stitches, no anything, and they see you for anxiety. I mean, that's the type of things that you're faced with, that you get somebody coming in, a child bangs themselves, and then they say to you, oh, the child is anxious. Well, I, mean, it, I it, don't know, you're explaining it to me, but uh, I think you could explain it to me forever and it still wouldn't make exactly. any sense. Exactly, I could go around and around explain to you. What I can say to you, Michael, is mm. it's very hard to be in a business mm. um, where things like this happen it's not your fault. It just doesn't feel fair. The listen, whole thing doesn't feel fair. At okay. All right, Linda, listen, I, I've run out of time. Uh, you're reopening tomorrow in your uh, new site. Uh, tell us where you are and uh, get the plug in while you're here. Thank you so much, Michael. So Huckleberry's Den is opening up in the zone in Navin. Um, the zone is there for the last 12 years and it's opening up softly so people will be able to come in and do that and go and do bowling and everything. So we've literally worked morning, noon and night for the last two weeks to get this open. A huge amount of effort, amazing staff. And we'll be there with our arms open to meet everybody in the morning at half nine. OK, I'm tempted to say break a leg, but obviously I won't. <laughs> Best of luck, Linda. Uh, please don't. Please, <laughs> please don't break a leg. Well, Thank- if you want to come in with a big blue slide, then you're welcome to come in with the damage if you like. <laughs> but, I, but, I, but I would have to get you to sign a form. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I'll keep that in mind. Thank you very much, Linda Murray, Director on the Board of Alliance for Insurance Reform and owner of Huckleberry's Place Centre in the Zone in Navan. Michael Reed on LMFM. Now let's find out what you've been saying to us. Uh, tanned and dressed looking Marie Kearns uh, joins us with some of uh, the calls and comments that have been coming to us this morning. Welcome back and good morning to you, Marie. Thank you, Michael. Good morning to everybody listening in. Declan says that there's not a lot 
Jim Wells says that he usually agrees with. But he Mm. does think that there are many Catholics who will want to remain in the UK simply because of economic reasons, Mm. that they look to the South and they don't think that they may want to be, you know, governed by the regime mm. here because of economic factors. Okay, yeah. So that's an interesting one. Uh, Seamus from Dundalk says that Jim Wells and the DUP party appear to have little regard for the citizens of Northern Ireland. It's their way or no way that they are not accepting the decision that the people of the North made in relation to um, the EU mm. and that there doesn't appear to be any middle ground with them that what is best yeah. for the six counties um, should be priority and that Brexit is clearly not what is best especially not a hard exit. Okay well I'm sure Jim Wells will say you could argue that the other way and to mm. say uh, that the people of the United Kingdom have voted to, to leave uh, and a vast majority have voted to leave and uh, that uh, he's been elected uh, by people of North Ireland to represent them. Uh, Carmel wants to comment on your interview. Says in relation to Mr. Wells's comments on abortion that she agrees with him 100%. It's an absolute disgrace. You talk about human rights on your show, Michael, but what about the killing of the unborn? The people in the North would be right not to vote for United Ireland when that's what they would be getting here. Well, they might be getting it anyway, it seems. Uh, that's uh, one of uh, the amendments uh, that's been put forward in uh, this bill, which will extend out uh, the day from the end of August up to about the 21st of October before they're required to have elections, assembly elections in Northern Ireland. In relation to the Northern Ireland Parliament, Tony says that none of the elected politicians, in his mind, should be paid a penny until it's back up and running again. He says, what are they doing, Michael? They're sitting around doing nothing, the Mm. politicians, and maybe cutting their money completely would be an incentive to start governing again. Yeah, well, it's some world record, isn't it? Uh, <laughs> it beggars one. belief, really, Michael. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. The longest uh, term uh, that uh, any region has been without a sitting government, uh, 659 days, if I remember the figure off uh, hand. It's two and a half years anyway, and that's uh, certainly an accurate number, but uh, it's uh, set to continue, it seems, if this bill is passed in Westminster until the 21st of October. Now, let's go to to County Louth and uh, the ongoing issue of illegal dumping and an effort to, to reduce how you see or the number of mattresses that you might see dumped in scenic spots. Erin uh, McGreen is a, a local Fianna Fáil councillor and on the line and uh, a very good morning to you and thanks for joining us. There was to be a, an amnesty uh, where people could bring up to three mattresses to their local recycling centres today or tomorrow rather but that's not going to happen now. Is that right? No, Michael, how are you doing? Um, you know, that, the matter of amnesty was due to take place tomorrow, but due to unforeseen circumstances, it won't happen this week. The recycling company that was due to take the mattresses doesn't, have, doesn't currently have capacity to, to, due to oversupply of the mattresses. But um, what most of you know is that Loud County Council are postponing it, not cancelling the amnesty, and it, will be, it, will, it should happen in the autumn when the company has um, more capacity. Okay, so I suppose there's a, a very important message there for people now. If they- Selling a little or a lot? 
Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com. They have a, a mattress. They'll be able to recycle it uh, at a, a, a date in uh, the coming weeks uh, as yet to be announced. Uh, and uh, obviously it appealed to people uh, to wait until then or to uh, pay for it. How much do you pay uh, in the recycling centre now? I think it was about €15. Euro. What is it now? Well, I'm not sure what, what, but what it was going to be four euro for um, to enter with the with the um, mattresses. Mm. That, that that's the, that's the entrance fee into yeah. all of the recycling centres anyway. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So you could bring in yeah. up to three mattresses, and you could probably have uh, a trailer full of hedge cuttings, uh, which are, are free anyway uh, once you pay the four euro. Yeah, which is fantastic when you think about it, you can get rid of three mm. mattresses just for four euro, and complete will will curb hopefully some of the legal dumping that 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 we have in in, in our county laid. Okay, uh, this is uh, costing what, 145,000? So the anti dumping initiative um, gives 145,000 in total to Loud County Council. Now there's nine projects under that 145,000 that's going to be you know, taking part. So the mattress amnesty was one of those. So um, there's a clean up and surveillance of Corn and Muckle and Cooley Mountains. There is a clean up along the route of the, the Carniford Lock Greenway. Mm. There's an awareness campaign, surveillance at Bringbanks. You know, there's a, there's a lot more, and there's clean up at Rice's Bridge in the dock, and the Navi Bank, and Castle Ross, and the Old Bridge. So there's a lot of work going on, and I suppose in any any anti-dumping initiative and anti-dumping awareness is so important, crucial to, to to all of us, really. Yeah, it'd be very interesting to watch it and try to gauge how many mattresses are, are dumped uh, on foot of uh, the amnesty, or if people avail of what's being offered to them and go to the recycling centre with their mattresses instead of throwing them into somebody else's field, as the case may be. Uh, because uh, I think a lot of people would argue that it's 
too expensive to dispose of a, a mattress. I think it used to be around €15. Euros, probably more like 20 these days, but uh, I'm not fully sure of that. That's after paying your €4 euro in. Uh, but uh, I think then there's also uh, another mindset uh, where people will dump stuff regardless because you'd often see fridges and cookers dumped in fields as well. And of course, it's always free to recycle them. Yeah, here there's, you know, everyone knows that dumping, illegal dumping, illegal littering is not right. But what we need to do is make it completely socially unacceptable to make, to, 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 to take part in this activity. You know, there's so much things, you know, the environmental impact and financial impact on us, the taxpayers, you know, that, that you know, money talks. And, you know, when you think about the, the, that 145,000 that, that has been earmarked for, for County Loud and mm. the millions across the country, well, that's it, you know, yeah. where that money could be going mm. if people would just, you know, people would, would take, take care of their own rubbish. But when you say 15 euro for, um, to get rid of a mattress and, and without the amnesty, mm. You know, people are spending 300, 500, 1,000 on their mattresses at the start of it. Mm. 15 euro isn't a whole pile on top of that when you, when you're, when you, if you just add that 15 euro mm. to the price of the uh, mattress. Exactly. But you'd also wonder, is 145,000 a lot of money for the council to spend on recycling the mattresses if people bring them in like that and they don't have to pay for it? Or will they spend more cleaning them up by having to collect them from the countryside and then having to recycle them anyway? Well, I mean, will that 145,000 turn into to 300,000, for example? Well, I hope not, Michael. Mm. You know, 145,000 isn't going just for the mattress amnesty. And I suppose then the, 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 the fact that um, the, mm. the, the recycling company that are taking the mattresses have an, over, have an oversupply and too much capacity at the minute is possibly a good thing. The people are, the, the people are recycling their mattresses mm. themselves. And, you know, it's a, there's a good, maybe a good thing from, from all, all points of view. People are doing up their houses mm. and recycling their mattresses properly. Well, of course, yeah. yeah I just wonder if, if it's cheaper than cleaning up after people to allow people to dump the mattresses for nothing, in other words. Here, you know, you can, you, we can always, we can yeah. always argue, argue, you know, not to, not to, you know, assist in the process of trying to prevent illegal dumping and put, mm. the, put, put the blame 100% on people and, and put money as a barrier to everything. But... At the minute, we have 145,000. There isn't a part of that, as one project of out of nine, the mattress amnesty is there. And it's a huge positive that we can go with our mattresses, um, hopefully to, in, in mm. autumn time, and get rid of them for just four euros. Three mattresses for four euros, in fairness, it's a very good, a very good deal. Yeah, well, it's four euros in, so you could bring all of uh, your newspapers and your yes. hedge cuttings and whatever else you have that's yes. recyclable, uh, as well as your three mattresses. The yes. mattresses, in a, a effect, are free after you've paid into the recycling centre. So we'll uh, hope to hear back from you when uh, it's uh, been finalised as to when that's going to happen. Uh, And I'm sure that the council officials will be measuring the outcome of it uh, over the course of the coming months. Thank you indeed uh, for joining us uh, this morning. Fianna Fáil Councillor in Louth, Aaron McGreehan there. Now let's go back uh, to some more of uh, the calls and comments uh, with Marie. Frank was listening to your interview with Linda Murray and says that fair play to her. She's done so much to highlight the difficulties that many businesses are facing regarding insurance. And he feels that the pressure needs to be kept on the government to ensure that businesses aren't being ripped off Mm. and can continue to operate. 
the compo culture in Ireland says David needs to be addressed. You hear of cases where it's the person's own fault what happened, that it was their responsibility almost. Mm. And yet you see them getting big payouts. It needs to be far fairer. In cases where a person genuinely had a mishap and it wasn't their Mm. fault, they are entitled to seek compensation. But often, says David, you just can't understand where the big payments are coming from. Well, that comes back to that question that we were discussing about doing something at your own risk uh, and knowing the dangers that are involved and that there is a, a risk that you'll break your leg or feel a bit anxious afterwards or whatever the result is. But you do that at your own risk and you don't make a claim because of what is obvious in some cases. So we'll finish on that, Michael. All right, thanks for that, Marie, and thanks to everybody who has been in touch with us. If you'd like to add to what's been said, as always, we'd love to hear from you. Our telephone number is 1850 Michael, Michael Reed on, on LMFM. Now, as you've been hearing, uh, the Thornish uh, Simon Coveney is uh, to bring uh, three memos uh, to cabinet today on the consequences, the dark consequences for that matter of a no-deal Brexit for Northern Ireland and the all-Ireland economy and indeed uh, a revised contingency contingency plan is to be published later today. Let's talk about this with our political correspondent Sean Defoe who's on the line. Good morning to you Sean and uh, thanks for joining us. Uh, Did they not do all of this already with uh, the Brexit omnibus bill? Uh, they did do a huge amount of this, yeah, before the March deadline and again before the April deadline when both times we thought we might be heading uh, towards a no-deal Brexit and towards a hard crash-out. So from a legislative point of view, a lot of the heavy lifting is already done. That should pass. It's been signed by the President. It's ready to go when and should we need it. Uh, but there have been tweaks in the meantime since, as there would be in six months when you have an extra six months to prepare for what could be a very nightmare scenario. So, for example, in the meantime, there's been a a memo of understanding with the UK government on the common travel area. There's been another one on social welfare payments that would allow uh, social welfare payments to be made to the UK and from the UK to recipients in both countries. And there's also been more preparations in the ports and airports for what a no-deal scenario might look like. This is going to be largely an update on them, a bit more detail on the plans, but then also and I think probably the main thrust of this is going to be in relation to a communication strategy because things have gone off the boil. We haven't really been talking about a Brexit mm. and the risk of no deal a huge amount for various reasons. One, because it was pushed out. Two, because of the um, of the leadership contest that's going on in the UK. So nothing was going to happen between now and then and because of domestic issues here. So I think just before the doll goes into the summer recess and politics goes quiet for a little while, they wanted to give another push and another uh, message out to businesses in particular that, you know, everything's not rosy in the garden and there's a very, very big threat coming in October. Uh, and will there be time for the politicians to debate what government is saying today and uh, this memo that it publishes today before the doll breaks up for the summer holidays? There will be, yeah, there's been time set aside on Thursday, which is the last sitting day of the Dáil before the summer recess. So there is going to be some debate over the next couple of days on, on the preparations and on what's been done and, I suppose, more widely, what's not been done or what's been left out of whatever memos we see today. And undoubtedly there will be calls for the Dáil uh, to extend its term and uh, to sit longer into the summer or to be recalled on uh, the election of uh, the next British Prime Minister. There probably will be, there usually is. There's already been a couple of calls to debate Mercosur, for example, for there to be an extra day or extra time added. We're going to see that Mercosur debate 
this evening mm. in the Dáil, pick, uh, picking up from where it was uh, last week with questions and answers with the Minister. So there always is these kind of calls, but I don't think there is much of a weight behind them. There's not a huge amount of appetite. A lot of the politicians around Anster House are very much looking forward to their summer break and getting out of Dublin for a while. No, I'm sure they are, but we get to the 21st of July and uh, we'll have a, a better uh, feeling, I suppose, of what's ahead of us with Brexit when we know who uh, takes uh, the leadership of uh, the Tories. We will, and I suppose there's a thinking that Jeremy Hunt is more of a safe option. I heard one former Tory MP describe him as Theresa May in trousers, that things wouldn't change a huge amount were he to take over Boris Johnson. Obviously, it's more of a wild card. We don't really know what we're getting with him or, or what he would be like as a Prime Minister. But, and the government has been pointing this out, there, there's a threat no matter which one of them is elected. They both said that they would take the UK out of the European mm. Union without a deal. Both have said they want the withdrawal agreement to be reopened and renegotiated and changed. And despite that, as the teacher pointed out yesterday, both also voted for the withdrawal agreement the last time it was in the House of Commons. So you have to question how much of what they're saying or what they're talking about at the moment is the usual cut and thrust of an election campaign. As Pat Rabbit once said, the promises you make during a campaign you've no intention of keeping. <laughs> and how much of it actually is uh, their set position and what they will go to EU leaders with after they, whoever, whichever one of them is elected, and to try and get that done. And again, of course, we have to look down at the EU response and how unopened they are to re- renegotiating that deal. All the things that Pat Rabbit did over the years, I think that's probably the one that he'd be most remembered for, there's no doubt. Uh, but there's uh, what uh, the contenders uh, say they will do or would like to do, and there's what they might be able to do or not able to do, uh, because uh, we have uh, this bill before the House of Commons uh, today, which will look to extend the time period before elections are, are necessary to the Northern Ireland uh, Assembly. Uh, and a number of amendments to that, one of the amendments being uh, that uh, they can't leave without a deal. Yeah, this is another bid to, I suppose, stop them leaving without a deal, because all those indicative votes that we saw from the House of Commons, they didn't show us a huge amount in terms of a consensus view. The one that they did show is that the majority of MPs don't want no deal, and they don't want to go there. There's a small room of them would be quite happy with it, usually on the hard Brexiteer side, but a lot of them actually realise, you know, No deal is going to be very, very bad for Britain and they don't want to do it there. So this is a a parliamentary procedure to try and get it there. And it has been kind of spurned by comments by uh, Boris Johnson, I believe, when he suggested that perhaps Parliament could be suspended if we got into a situation in October where he Prime Minister and that as a result, no deal could force through. This kind of aims to change that and amend that. But we've also seen uh, some uh, different clauses and motions go before the House of Commons that would enshrine ruling out no deal in legislation and they also hadn't passed. So it's an interesting debate and interesting in the context of Northern Ireland coming up in that debate mm-hmm. as well. One Tory MP saying that he believes were there to be a situation, a no deal Brexit that leads to a hard border, then you're looking at a united Ireland because the situation would force a, a border poll and force a unity vote on it. And despite being a unionist himself, this particular MP said he didn't think they would win it. This is Simon Hoare, uh, the Tory uh, who chairs Westminster's Northern Ireland Affairs Committee. And he was saying that he doesn't want to wake up one morning uh, in the United Kingdom of England and Wales, a United Kingdom that is without Northern Ireland and Scotland, because he feels that one could lead to the other. Yeah, this is one of the big theories that happened there about Brexit and about what it would lead to is that eventually... 
if there's a hard border, you, you know, people have been crossing over so much between the Republic of Northern Ireland in the end that would people rather keep this status quo by ultimately leaving the UK and, and having a vote to do that? And then that splintering would also lead to a second independence vote in Scotland. And you'd have to say a second vote there would probably lead to a yes. It was a narrow enough defeat last time when there were a lot of promises made by David Cameron, if you remember, to Scotland that they feel haven't been followed through on. So there's a lot more nuance going on here than just a, you know, a border or a, you know, a couple of months of uh, really difficult economic times. There's actually nation building or nation deconstruction that's being discussed about as well. And it's the first time I think we've heard a Tory MP really discuss that in, in quite nuanced detail, which is interesting. All right. Uh, I think, though, uh, Theresa May uh, did say that uh, the union would be at risk uh, and uh, there's been speculation that it could uh, backfire on unionists if the United Kingdom leaves without a a deal. Are, Are they just scaremongering, though, or what do you think? Um, there's a, possibly is a bit of that, but there's also a bit of frustration coming out. Mr. Hoare, as well, in his comments, had a bit of a go at the DUP, um, who a lot of Conservatives are kind of annoyed at because they wouldn't get behind any deal, and they're probably not going to get behind any deal, if we're being honest about it, um, that they, they can't hold a gun to the hand, head of this government. And, and in fact, they actually can hold a gun to their head because they're the ones propping them up. So there's a little bit of frustration there. But I think it is a real concern. Yeah, the DUP have played it off as scaremongering and as walking into the hands of Republicans. But you would be pretty naive to not think that this is one of the possibilities that could come about. I mean, people say it'll never, you know, unions mm-hmm. say it'll never happen until there's certain support around it. And yeah, that's right. The discussion about Northern Ireland needs to happen with both unionists and Republicans together coming to a consensus view, because otherwise you're just going to have violence. You're going to have a nightmare scenario. Mm. But this could lead us down that road because once people and people in Northern Ireland start to feel it in their pockets, and they absolutely would, these memos are going to spell out today how they would, then, you know, you're looking at people making a decision about their quality of life and whether it's better off in the UK or out of it. Uh, And as you say, uh, it's a possibility. Hard as that possibility may be to contemplate, it's far easier to contemplate some of uh, the other amendments uh, to this bill, which uh, extends out the date uh, for elections uh, to the Assembly and uh, the ultimate formation of of an executive, uh, and how legislation could be introduced to introduce same-sex marriage or abortion in Northern Ireland from Westminster and that may focus minds over the coming weeks and uh, see some meeting of minds uh, between the DUP and Sinn Féin in terms of coming together uh, and restoring the institutions in Northern Ireland, I gather. Yeah, again, it's a, it's a kind of strange one. Both of those have been talked about and it's a weird one whereby Sinn Féin wants, usually wants no decision made from London but these two policy decisions would be ones they would actually welcome. Uh, and the DUP wants a closer relationship with London, but yet is uh, fervently against these two particular policy decisions that might be made from, from Westminster or not. Now, again, mm-hmm. we come back to that gun that the DUP can hold to the head of the Tory government uh, and say, well, look, our support is contingent on doing this or not doing this. But mm-hmm. you would think it will focus minds. I'm not particularly optimistic that those talks will get underway. Simon Coveney was talking yesterday that maybe progress can be made in the next week and that you want to just stay fairly tight-lipped on what's going on in the hopes of achieving a deal. But, I mean, privately, I've been told by people involved with the talks that realistically, until Brexit is sorted, Stormont is not getting up and running, and, and that's mm. just the reality of it. All right. So the 
big red double-decker bus will be pulling up outside of Leinster House uh, to the sound of Cliff Richard on Thursday and uh, the TDs will be going on uh, their summer holiday uh, and undoubtedly uh, they'll be looking forward to it as you say I think usually the last week uh, is kind of a, a giddy week in uh, the Dáil and uh, people aren't as uh, concentrated as uh, they normally are but there's uh, some very important stuff uh, will this uh, be unlike other years or do you think uh, that uh, people will start to wind down a bit now I think they've been on the wind down for a couple of weeks there's a really really odd atmosphere around Leinster House the last few weeks to be honest with you Michael mm. I think a lot of TDs accept that this doll the 32nd doll has run its course uh, that it was never expected to survive this long when confidence in supply was agreed and that now most of the TDs are fed up with the Fianna Fáil, are absolutely sick of keeping Fine Gael in power. Mm. There's a, a general malaise around the place, not a huge amount getting done, even though a lot will probably be pu- pushed through or pushed to get through this week. Some important stuff like the Judicial Council still, debates on Mercosur, debates on Brexit and last-minute legislation from the government. But there, there is a real sense of everyone just kind of wants to get out of there break out of it for the summer and there's a lot of them who wouldn't be unhappy if the, this particular doll didn't return in September but again yeah. we're, we're tied to Brexit and until that's sorted out you're probably not going to see a general election here yet. There's been quite a, a number of mistakes or gaffes as the case may be. Is the government so tired that it's making mistakes? Yeah, it possibly is. I mean there's been a, a lot thrown at us in the last mm. while we look at broadband, you look at the children's hospital, mm. you look at overruns in other areas of the committee looking at the increased health spending, for example, today and how they can try and bring that in checks. So there's, there's been a lot of a lot of bad news, a lot of, a lot of positive advice for the government. I think they'll be pretty happy to go into the summer break and let everything calm down for a little while, and particularly on the poll numbers. So um, it's an interesting one. It's a very, very strange time in Leinster House where no one no one is feeling particularly good about their fortunes, um, but yet they're all very sick and wouldn't overly mind an election. So there's a weird dichotomy of feelings at the moment. All right. We'll leave it there for the moment. Thank you very much indeed for joining us uh, this morning. Our political correspondent, Sean Defoe. Michael Reed on LMFM. Well, how many Navy vessels does it take uh, to confuse an Irish government? Uh, the seven the Taoiseach says, or the nine that we have, or the seven uh, the Taoiseach says we have, because there's never a time when all of uh, the vessels are operational at the same time. So... Uh, if two aren't operational, that leaves seven. So if we have nine and two go into maintenance, that's actually seven minus those two. So that's five, isn't it? Or is it? Uh, because the Naval Service says we have nine vessels, one which is in refit and two are going into maintenance and crew will be deployed from these. So six vessels will be fully crewed. Uh, it's uh, enough to confuse anybody, isn't it? Uh, let's talk about this with Independent Senator Jared Crockwell, a former member of uh, the Defence Forces. And a very good morning to you and uh, thanks for joining us. Uh, how many Navy vessels have we actually got? We have nine vessels, uh, Michael. Uh, good morning to you good and your listeners. You. We, we, we have nine vessels, of which at the moment three of them are uh, out of service. The LE, Orla and Etna have been taken out of operational service due to crew shortage. Right. Now... Uh, uh, forgive me if I'm wrong, or, or correct me if I'm wrong, uh, but we spoke uh, uh, about uh, paying conditions uh, in the Defence Forces last Wednesday, I think. And I, I think at that time you said that those two f- vessels had been stood down because there wasn't uh, enough personnel to man them. That is correct. Right, so, OK. So that is why the is it. Wh- as we speak. Why, why is this being a, an issue of such confusion for close on a week? 
Well, I, I think the minister took to his uh, Twitter account to try and put a positive spin on what is a very negative story. In actual fact, we have only three vessels that are fully operational. A further two are partially operational, and the rest are either in or in, in dock, uh, in for maintenance, uh, or otherwise unavailable at the moment. Mm, And that is the actual situation as we speak today, Michael. Okay. Uh, The minister said yesterday he didn't actually know that uh, there wasn't the personnel to man these two vessels. Uh, There's something wrong if the minister didn't know that up to yesterday when you knew about this almost a week ago, Jared Crockwell. There is, Michael, and there's something terribly wrong when the Taoiseach, the de facto Minister for Defence, thought we had seven ships when in fact we have nine. Mm. Uh, so, I mean, there is... A dip- do you accept his explanation? No, I do not. I think mm. the, 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 the problem is they've taken their eye completely off the naval service. Um, we are in dire straits. Uh, we have European obligations to fulfil, particularly in Sector 7, uh, which I'm not sure that we're able to fulfil. Ships are going through exercises where they're sailing to Dublin and hanging up in Dublin for three or four days, uh, sailing to Galway and sitting up there for three or four days, uh, purely because we do not have the crew expertise to get these ships out into the mid-Atlantic where they should be. Right. Uh, Has the government, or one part of the government at least, been telling porky pies. Uh, there was a, a letter to the Irish Times over the weekend uh, from Commodore Mick Malone who said that the two vessels that we're talking about, Elietna and Eliora, uh, had uh, been taken out of duty because there wasn't the personnel to man them. Exactly what you were saying last Wednesday uh, and over the weekend uh, the Minister Paul Kyo was saying that this wasn't true, that the media reporting was inaccurate. Well, um, Minister Kyo has said that he has a letter from uh, Defence Forces uh, senior staff uh, saying what he's saying is true. I would like to see him produce that letter. At the end of the day, I don't believe any such letter exists. I believe what's happening is a play on words. Um, uh, Taken out for maintenance, of course, the Orlande will have to be maintained while they're tied up but they're out of service because we don't have the personnel to sail them, Michael, and that's the truth. Yeah, and they're saying that's true now, as well as them going into maintenance. Yes, so, I mean, if you were to put up your washing machine and say, Mm. I'm not going to use that for the next year, you would take precautions to empty the water out of it, to make sure it was properly oiled and greased and whatever else you'd do with it to ensure that it would be serviceable when you'd want to bring it back into service. That's what we're talking about with respect to the maintenance on the Orla and the Etna. They are being prepared to be tied up and left sitting there until we have suitably trained crew, which I believe will take up to 10 years mm. to find, uh, to have these ships seaworthy again. But um, Remember these ships, Michael, go out and stop uh, yachts that are bringing drugs into the country. And crew have to uh, disembark their own ship, get onto light ribs, and go in pursuit of these yachts in high seas sometimes. So we need highly experienced personnel, and we're losing them by the minute. I I see a headline in one of the papers uh, describing this as a neon sign to drug smugglers that there's a clear path to Ireland, in other words. Absolutely, and with drugs comes guns because the drug dealers need to be able to enforce 
their uh, rather vicious rules on those who don't pay up. So you're well used to uh, hearing about shootings um, all over Dublin, particularly there's been some up in your own part of the woods uh, of recent times. We are living in very dangerous times, and the one fear I have, Michael, is foreign direct investment. The big, big multinationals that come in here come in here because this is a safe place to do business. You start dis- dis- uh, tangling the defence of the country, you run down the defence of the country, and foreign direct investment will move to a safer country. And people say that's exaggeration. I guarantee you it is not. We have 40% of the world's software balance sheets in Dublin. We cannot afford to play with foreign direct investment. Right. And when the minister was saying that it wasn't true, that this was fake news, that the media were inaccurate in how it was reporting uh, what the chief of staff, Mark Mellet, was saying through... Uh, the Naval Service Commander Mick Malone. Uh, was it a case that the Minister was in a hole and that the Taoiseach then stopped him from digging yesterday? Um, I think the Minister was in the hole. I think the, the Minister owes the media and the Defence Forces an apology for what he has tried to do. Um, I think the Taoiseach tried to get him to stop digging, but I don't believe he has stopped digging. I believe he's still uh, uh, trying to push the same story that he was misled and that it was all about maintenance and not about crew shortages. He quoted a figure of 88% Mm. of establishment being available. The truth of the matter, Michael, is if we take all of the people that are on courses, people that do not go to sea, people that are on long-term sick leave out of that 88%, we probably have something close to 65 or 70% uh, available to crew our nine ships. So the truth of the matter is we have a couple of million euros worth of hardware in ships that will be tied up beside a dock and the only thing that will ever be on them is a few people keeping an eye on them from a security point of view. All right, but at least they're being well paid or much better paid. They're getting a a pay rise that most people would bite your hand off to get. Uh, mentioned that because uh, it's something we discussed on uh, the programme yesterday. It was a remarkable turn of phrase uh, that the Minister used in uh, announcing uh, the increase and uh, restoration of allowances last week. He said uh, that personnel were uh, going to effectively see a 4.1% increase in their pay and that people would bite his hand off to get a 4.1% increase in their pay. Uh, At 96 cents a day, uh, we thought maybe not, but uh, maybe what he meant was that people would bite his hand off if they could get the equivalent of 4.1% of his pay, which would uh, <laughs> equate to €5,000. Well, I can tell you this much. Uh, I have had so many calls from former members of the Defence Forces who still have contacts within the Defence Forces, and they are outraged at the way the Minister is trying to spin what is 96 cents a day of an increase. It is an absolute disgrace that they would try and fob this off. And by the way, they're including things like overseas service. Mm. Overseas service is paid for by the United Nations, not by the Exchequer. They're including things like Sunday duties. If I were uh, a nurse and I worked Sunday, I would get double time. Soldiers don't even get the national minimum wage. So, you know, I mean, we've got to be realistic about what we're talking about here. We're talking about still the lowest and poorest paid civil servants, yet the most loyal this state ever had. 
And do you know what? That loyalty is at risk at the moment, Michael. And thank God there are people like you that are willing to highlight these issues and get them out into the public domain because soldiers, sailors and airmen cannot speak for themselves. Okay, well, I think uh, we're going to be hearing more about this uh, and uh, the Minister will undoubtedly be asked questions. Uh, Certainly the Taoiseach will be asked uh, questions uh, this afternoon when uh, the doll resumes and uh, I'm sure uh, the answers uh, will be watched quite closely for that matter. We'll leave it there for the moment and uh, thanks very much indeed uh, for joining us uh, this morning. Uh, That's Independent Senator Gerard Crockwell. Michael Reed on LMFM. Time now, as is usual, around this time on a Tuesday for our weekly visit to the Garda Crime Desk. As usual, there's a number of incidents uh, that Garda are investigating locally. Perhaps you can assist with uh, those investigations. We're joined by Sergeant Ronan Farley of Navin Garda Station for the report this week. And we begin this week in Dundalk and a shooting incident in the town. Yes, good morning, Michael. Um, this shooting incident happened last Thursday night at 11.35pm at Oakland Park in Cox's Domain. Um, a number of shots were fired at that house, um, hitting the front door and the front living room window. Now, the house was occupied at the time. Thankfully, nobody was injured in this incident. Um, the car used by the culprits uh, was a red Hyundai Coupe, a 060 registered car, now that left the scene at speed and uh, since then that car has been located in Carrick Macross on Sunday. So we're appealing for anybody in the Dundalk area, in the Cox's Domain area in particular, who may have seen that car in the area prior to the shooting um, or indeed on the night of the shooting last Thursday night around half eleven to please contact Dundalk Garda Station. Okay, and we'll stay in Dundalk and uh, burglary that uh, occurred in uh, the town last Sunday. That's correct. Uh, This happened on Sunday morning um, between 11am and 12.30pm. A house was broken into at Newtown Balregan outside Dundalk. Now, we know that um, a local person passed this house and saw a car in the driveway, a northern registered Audi A4, which didn't belong to the household. And a few minutes later, that car had left the scene. So we feel that this incident happened closer to half 12 on Sunday. So if anybody was in that area, they may have seen that car acting suspiciously, they may have any information that could assist, we'd ask them to contact on Dock Garda Station. OK, and uh, we'll go to what I suppose you could describe as a seasonal type of crime, where people go to scenic spots and come back to find that uh, their car has uh, been meddled with or something taken from it, and uh, there's been a theft from a car at Douth and Slane. That's right, Michael. Um, This happened on Sunday afternoon and and sadly, once again, the victims are tourists. Um, Their car was broken into at doubt um, at 2pm on Sunday. Um, Two backpacks were taken. The backpacks contained their passports and their travel documents and also an Apple MacBook Pro. So um, the doubt area is generally quiet, but there may have been extra people around on Sunday because the World Clay Pigeon Shooting Championships had just finished up in the area, so there might have been some extra people in the area. Mm. And if anybody saw any suspicious vehicle in that area, if they can assist us, to please contact Slane Garda Station. We've a hit-and-run incident uh, to report on... Uh, this happened in Drogheda on Saturday. Saturday afternoon at 1.40pm at Mel, um, a car was exiting the Riverview area onto Mel when a second car hit it and kept travelling now, the offending vehicle was travelling inbound towards Drogheda. Um, it's described as a small navy car, possibly a Corolla, 
um, with a yellow number plate on the rear and it was driven by a female. So Mel would have been quite busy on Saturday mm. at that time and perhaps somebody saw this collision or somebody can help identify that car. It might have been picked up on, on dash cam if any of your listeners were travelling um, in Mel. The time again was 1.40pm on Saturday. Drogheda Gardaí are investigating. It's the road policing section in Drogheda are investigating that one. Okay. A uh, number of burglaries, a spate of burglaries. Uh, in fact, uh, all of these uh, occurred in South Meath on Tuesday. That's right. This day last week, um, the first burglary happened in the Ratcore area of Enfield. Um, sometime between half three and half five, a house was broken into there. Um, a small amount of cash was taken. The culprits got in through the front window. Um, the second burglary then in that area um, was reported at Ardrums uh, near Summer Hill. And that happened between 5 and 6 p.m. A number of rooms were ransacked in that house. And the third burglary happened at the Moy in Summer Hill. Um, now, this occurred around about half past five and a substantial quantity of jewellery was taken um, in that raid. Um, the culprits um, actually drilled out the front door lock on that house and carried quite an array of um, property from the house. So we're appealing to people who are in that area, the Summerhill Enfield area, this day last week in the afternoon. Did you see any suspicious or unusual vehicle? Can you assist us in any way? If you can, please contact the detective unit at Trim Garda Station. OK, and we'll conclude uh, the report uh, this week with some good news, perhaps, uh, for somebody listening to us uh, this morning because uh, you've had some property handed in. That's right. We have three items of property here handed in. Um, the first one um, is it's a, an Apple iPhone. It's a white iPhone with a silver back. It was found in the park in Dunboyne um, last Tuesday. So... Um, that's with the Guardian Dunboyne. If we can uh, trace the owner of that, that would be great. Um, the second item, Michael, uh, is also uh, an iPhone. Um, it, sorry, it's a Samsung phone. It's golden colour. It's in a black flip case. It was found in a taxi in Navan and handed in to Navan Garda Station at 5am on Sunday morning. So obviously somebody out on Saturday night in Navan, if they're missing a gold Samsung phone, Navan Garda have it. And the final item here, Michael, it's um, it's a car key. It's a fob key belonging to a Ford car. And it was found in St. Patrick's Cathedral in Dundalk on Sunday morning. There's no keys with it. It's just simply the, the fob. Mm. So if you're missing that, again, Dundalk already have that. Sergeant Ronan Farrelly of Navangarda Station, thank you indeed. We'll return to the Garda Crime Desk in around the same time on next Tuesday's programme. Now we go to a recovered item of a, a very different sort and uh, a leg that was discovered, or at least a uh, uh, bone leg, uh, the leg bone that was discovered uh, on uh, Baltray Beach at The Haven. Yesterday evening, Dominic Hartigan of Loud Nature Trust, which runs uh, the Little Term Project at The Haven on Baltray, is on the line. Good morning to you, Dominic, and uh, thanks uh, for joining us. Why, Michael? What, what can you tell us about this discovery? Um, well, one of our team was um, walking the beach and uh, noticed the bone sticking out of the seaweed at the pipeline and uh, duly reported it to the Coast Guard, who then passed it on to the guards and they came and visited. Okay, and uh, was it obvious that it was human remains uh, that were there, uh, or can, have you any description from that person? It seems to be an upper part of the femur, mm-hmm. human femur, um, considerably um, eroded. Evidently, I think quite old, really, and difficult to determine how old the um, guards and the um, uh, investigation 
unit came down and had a look at it and um, took it away. Right, most unusual discovery. Uh, I'm sure uh, there was a, a, a lot of confusion or interest uh, or uh, a lot of, of talk as uh, to how the leg may have ended up on the beach. Uh, yes, we speculated to quite a considerable extent until um, uh, Sparrowhawk diverted us towards um, our main charges. As, uh, as, as is often the case, no doubt, on the haven. <laughs> yeah. Well, it, the age the age of this particular bone, it's very hard to determine. It's obviously been in the water or on the sand or in the beach for quite some time. Um, we wouldn't be able to hazard a guess as to how old it was. The, um, the guards themselves took it away with, with little or no speculation as to where it might come from. Okay. But, but the number of sources in the river would be quite high, I'd imagine, you know, because of you know, I mean, the history of the river, it, it, this, this could have come from a considerable time ago. Most unusual discovery. Listen, Dominic, uh, thanks for taking our call this morning. Much appreciated. Dominic Hartigan of Louth Nature Trust, which runs uh, the little term project on Baltray Beach at The Haven. Now, before we leave you today, let's go back uh, to some more of your calls and comments. And uh, Marie, uh, you've uh, some more. I have indeed. Just on regarding the discussion around insurance, uh, Peter Inton Dog says, Michael, I didn't hear anyone mention the profits that insurance companies make. Maybe that's a big part of the problem too, says Peter. Uh, Michael, listening into your show, what about people being fined very little in court for having no car insurance? I think that's an insult to honest drivers, says John mm. and RD. Is that the case? People I don't who know. Do, yeah. mm. People who mm. do pay. Mm. He seems to think that some of them aren't mm. fined enough. Yeah. Mm. Uh, another listener then just moving on to the mattress uh, amnesty that we were talking about what did I say what did I say mattress mattress amnesty don't worry I'm, I'm, okay. only, get, I'm only getting back out, out from the holidays now you'll yeah, have to excuse that's me that's understandable yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, but, this uh, is yeah, bringing mattress old mattresses yes, to be recycled yes. in the recycling uh, centres at no cost yeah. uh, mm-hmm. Philomena mm-hmm. just was, was listening to that interview and she says that she in, in Kells there's a fantastic recycling mm-hmm. centre but yet there's a lot of dumping going on still and she just can't understand when you have a state of the art facility there that people in this day and age still think it's okay to go out and dump their rubbish. Mm. And well, it's still expensive. I mean, this is uh, the issue, I suppose, that we've been talking about for years on end. Is it too expensive to recycle your mattress or to dispose of it in the recycling centre, depending on what way you're looking at it? And uh, I'm not sure of the cost today. I know it used to be €15, Euro, so I imagine it's a little bit more than that now, or maybe not. Uh, but uh, €15 Euro in itself is a lot of money. And people say, well, look, I'm just getting rid of the mattress. Uh, I have to buy a new one, let alone pay another €15 Euro on top. Mm. Uh, and to some extent, that is the reason why people have taken it on themselves to drive out the country and dump it in a field. Mm. Uh, and so, sometimes though, mm, when you do buy, because mm, I only mm, bought a mattress they will recently, it, yeah. and mm. the, the one thing I said was, will you take my old mm. one away? Like mm. That was part of the, yeah, the yeah. deal before mm. I agreed yeah. you know, to buy. Mm. Yeah, absolutely, uh, because yeah. it took, you know, you had that problem mm. solved then yeah. straight away. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So maybe that's something people should consider too. Absolutely, yeah. Or, or you get people like me who are too mean and uh, have become infamous. Uh, too mean to buy a mattress. No, or too, 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 too mean to pay to recycle it. Uh, so I stripped it down and okay. used it uh, as a, a way uh, of uh, growing ivy. Uh, worked as a wonderful trellis. But anyway, there you go. Well, That's another day's go. work. We leave uh, it there for the moment. Uh, thanks for that, Marie. Thanks everybody who's been in touch. God willing, we'll see you for our next programme tomorrow morning at 9am right here on LMFM. Good morning. Bye-bye. 
the Michael Reed Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at LMFM.ie Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A. FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.